this week we are we strictly doing World Junior this week? Oh, there's probably a few other things we can cover, but yeah, I would say World Junior at least the start of it. We're down. We're through the through the round robin, uh, medal round, elimination round will start Tuesday. So. The yeah, U.S. Like, just beat Slovakia ten to two to win their group. So, yeah, US they took yeah. top spot in their group. They're looking better all the time, <clears throat> definitely. But so, um, I'll let you take charge. You you know more about World Junior than I do, but um, well, it's it, as I uh, as I mentioned off camera. This is a this is an odd one because there's really no. There's no standouts. There's no standout talent that's emerged so far. Anyway, uh, there's some guys that look real solid. Maybe project out to second or third liners or middle pair defensemen or something. But uh, nobody that really jumps off the page so far. Um, good solid, good solid guys and everything. Don't get me wrong, but just nothing. No jaw dropping talent that we've seen uh, just yet. Um, U.S. is looking stronger every day, and as we record right now, Sweden just lost to Finland uh, in a fairly meaningless game in uh, in a shootout. But it was the first time Sweden had given up any uh, given up a single goal so far in uh, in the round robin. <clears throat> so, um, I like I like the, the tournament being that way. No, yeah, no real stand, no real standouts. Um, I understand. Yeah. Because it's World Junior, so it's right. the uh, understanding that your McDavid's and your Bedards and your McKinnons and your McCars and these guys, they are integral players on on an everyday NHL roster. Right. They're why why would the team allow them to do it, and why why would they want to as much pride as wearing your country's colors might bring you? You know, so you World Junior is to showcase. To me, should showcase your prospects, your up and coming guys, your your guys maybe hoping to to showcase themselves to to move up the draft rankings or to to be placed in rankings so they can be drafted or you know anything like that. And that's that's a that's a lot of what we're seeing. And if you look at past years, I mean, think about how how dominant Alexei Lafreniere was a couple of years ago. And Capo Caco and and you know um, Nolan Foot had a real good tournament several years ago. Never seen him again. Um, and and the two guys in New York, Caco and, and Lafreniere, are very very quiet. As but and they dominated the tournament, especially Lafreniere. And then you've got guys that come along and have very mediocre World Junior tournaments and really hit their stride, you know, in their mid twenties. So there's not a lot to be read into this but at this point it's it looks like a three maybe three and a half team race with all these teams looking really good and most of the guys are drafted already so uh, you know we went through a we went through a few of them and you know again good solid players but like uh on the u.s team mcgrordy who belongs to winnipeg um brinley snuggerud Perot. The Hudson kid is interesting on defense. He's got great feet. He's been wrongly compared to, to um, 
Cale McCarr, and he's a very mobile kid uh, at this age, and you know, his, especially his lateral movement. But aside from that, this is a good, solid team. They are likely to win gold. But does anybody just jump out and 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 dominate the game? No, they don't. Um, there's no comparison to Cale McCarr. No, McCarr's kind of hit on kind of his his own in his own tier um, in regards to defensemen, but the, depending, on how you, depending on how you word it, I guess you can compare it in style of play, but that's about all you can do. Yeah. He's just a, he's a kid that's really good on his edges. He's got great lateral movement. Um, and so if he continues to develop the way McCarr did uh, a year or two out of junior, then um, yeah, he'll be, he'll be fun to watch. I, um, interesting to me that the Potra kid uh, from Canada has been playing all year long in Boston, been playing a regular shift, been a good solid player in their middle six, and has really yet to do much of anything noteworthy in the tournament. So there's just another example. Uh, Fraser Minton came out of uh, Kamloops uh, in the Western League at the time and was uh, played a few games for Toronto in the early going. Good-looking player, but just has really not lit it up so far. Uh, a couple of um, a couple of the Swedes looked real good over the first few games. Um, the Pedersen defenseman uh, going to Vancouver um, looks terrific, and and Osland, uh, who's a Buffalo pick, the forward, good-looking players. Uh, that's a that's a heck of a scary-looking team. If I were to guess, I'm going to say Sweden and U.S. will play. If they can, if they match up right, they'll play either for the goal or they'll play in the semi. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't watched a whole lot. I, um, the U, the hockey is treated as kind of a niche product down in the states, and yeah. that's kind of the one, the one aspect of, and I don't want to say the only aspect. Um, my wife being Canadian and everything, but that's the w- one big aspect of living in Canada that I miss is hockey was not only on, but it was covered on almost every channel. Um, here it's a niche product. And unless you have a, a cable provider that can give you the NHL network or you pirate TSN or something like that, you're not really going to be able to watch. So I haven't watched a whole lot. Um, I did see a pre-tournament matchup between the U.S. and Canada um, that ended six-five in overtime. Um, that's really all I've all I've witnessed. Um, but it's I've, I've seen final scores and I've seen all that stuff. But in terms of focus on play, I haven't I haven't been able to, unfortunately, been able to put my eyes on too much of the product. The you, you mentioned a good cultural aspect. During the World Junior Tournament, it's probably anywhere from three to five thousand Canadians go to Europe every year. And that it's there, uh, you can't get a ticket when it's in Canada, and the country kind of comes to a halt when when this tournament is going on. And even among hockey fans, as we uh, we may have talked about this a couple of years ago on the podcast, I was still skating at the time, sitting in the dressing room during the tournament and said, well, I'm going to, you know, get a, get a shower and go, uh, anybody go want to go watch the game. And this is a, this is a room full of players. And they all said, what game? 
it was the middle of the world junior tournament. And yeah. saying, what what game are you going to go watch? It's eleven o'clock on Friday morning. But what are you where are you going? So yeah. uh, it there is a there's a real difference in how it's approached. There's a lot of the U.S. that didn't really even realize this tournament existed until maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Um, and that's not to say that they don't put great players on the ice, but it just doesn't carry the same meaning. No, but as far as no. as far as the players go, um, you know, let's we already know who's been drafted and and where they're going. Buffalo is loaded with picks. Vancouver is loaded with picks. Uh, there's a handful of teams. St. Louis has got a bunch of them. I don't I don't see their picks. Uh, I don't see anybody's picks in this thing doing what we were used to seeing in from a McKinnon, a Bedard, uh, that kind of thing. But we'll see. As for the undrafted, I do want to mention a couple things. The the goaltender, uh, his last name is Valley from from Finland, and they've got a couple of big nasty defensemen. Um, and Polkinen is one. Helenius up front from Finland, both big, heavy, gnarly guys, and and really impressive in a tournament like this on big ice that that big players like that can compete. Conversely. And we're seeing some goals out of um, we're seeing some good play out of Connor Geeky, who belongs to Arizona. Uh, hate to say it, we know his dad, we know we know that family, known him since they were little kids. His feet are so heavy. I don't. I see him being, um, you know, I see him. He looks like Nick Ritchie to me, who was a good player, a good player in junior. But he has got heavy feet, and I don't think unless he figures that one out, I don't I don't see him translating to a, an impact forward in the NHL. But no. your undrafted guys, um, I guess Celebrini is is hands down going to go number one. There's a kid named Barish from the Czech Republic, or from what do they call him now? Czech, Chechnya, Czechia, Czechia, Czechia. Um, the Owen Allard from Canada, and the goaltender Russo has looked good. So the rest of it, I don't know. Unfortunately, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, Sweden and Canada or Sweden and U.S., almost their entire teams have already been drafted. So mm-hmm. there's not much mystery left there. But overall, that's my takeaway from the round robin is that this is this is a tournament full of really good players, not really great players as of so far. So we'll see. Yeah, I it's, the, the medal round is going to be fun. It always is. It's it's going to be a, uh, if I were to handicap them, I'd say Sweden and U.S. for the gold and and maybe Canada for either what's left over, uh, silver or bronze. Finland will probably slip in and, and play in the in the semis. Yeah. Yeah. You could see U.S. and Sweden and then the Canada and Finland for the bronze game, medal game. That's uh, what I would. I, I got to see as of right now, um, the Final games in the round robin haven't been played, so I don't know when they cross over from Group A to Group B, who's going to be playing whom. Uh, it looks well. I, I wouldn't even speculate, but I, I'd say upcoming games for. Um, it's not giving me a date, so I'd assume that means it's today. Um, Czechia and Switzerland are playing. Yeah, that one's. Canada and Germany are playing. Right. Um, and those are the two games. Those are the two left. Left, or, or at least um, 
let's see, the winner of Czechia. Okay, the winner of Czechia and Switzerland earns third seed in Group B. Um, and then um, on Friday, and then it's the second seed in Group A pool. So Canada is um, Canada's second. Is second in their in the Group A. The winner of Czechia and Switzerland gets um, third seed in Group B. The U.S. already earned top seed in their group. Right. Um, so those are the two games listed for today. So that's then Sweden will play the fourth seed in B. Canada will play Czechia. The U.S. will play the fourth seed in A. Is it A? Or I haven't messed up. Anyway. It would be, uh, it's going to be an interesting medal round because of the crossovers and because you've got such surprises here and there out of Finland and Czechia. And so it's been up and down. Like Germany beats Finland in the first game. Can't can't beat anybody since. So that's what makes it fun. It's mm -hmm. fun to watch the kids playing so hard because uh, they're playing for the love of it. This is, uh, this is just fun. And as we say every year, if you have a chance to find it, whether it's on a streaming service that you have, or if you have to go locate it someplace online or whatever, go, go find a way to watch these guys. They're going to be, you know, five years from now, you're going to see a bunch of them in the national hockey league. And, and you're going to say you saw them when they were 17 or 18. So go, uh, go find a way to watch it. It is fantastic brand. And, uh, and the kids really play their hearts out. So yep. agreed. Enjoying it all. Agreed. Um, transition, else? transitioning a bit. Did you ever see the day? Okay, let me ask you this. <laughs> we already kind of have our answer, but I want to ask you as if either either we didn't or also kind of a flashback to mindset prior. Who, who would you have picked would have been a better hockey market or would have come out as the better hockey market? when we were looking at it 10, 15 years ago, Florida or Arizona? I didn't, I honestly didn't think either one of them would still be there in 2024. Florida has, Florida's actually started in the last year or two opening up the upper bowl in their, in their rink. <laughs> uh, they, they used to close it so that it didn't look empty and and they i remember just I, this has only been maybe 2 or 3 years ago they were they were selling seats for 10 bucks just to have just so the camera would have something to see behind the benches when you know when it saw the last, the first 20 rows of the building that they weren't completely vacant hire uh, hire seat fillers the way they do at the oscars or something like that exactly they come were in just and, come in and come in and sit away. and then fill the empty seat when somebody gets up Right. Yep. Get the get get people in the building for ten bucks so that you can try to get fifty dollars worth of concessions in them or something. And the the joke used to be that you know in, in Florida, especially when they were playing somebody that that didn't draw well, like sometimes the Rangers and the Islanders and and Boston, some of the East Coast teams draw pretty well there because of the transplants. But when Columbus or somebody was in town, it was like the joke was that it's come as come dressed as an empty seat night in Florida. And the, so I, I, I get the question. I haven't lost track of that, but Phoenix is now playing in a 5,000 seat building. Mm -hmm. And they, the good news is they finally found a place that they could pretty much fill, but 
how it is that the league is still pumping money into that franchise. They don't have a future. They don't have a building. They don't have a fan base. I don't, I don't understand it. We've touched, we've touched on it before. And what it'll take is 31, the other 31 owners to band together with Tibetman at the winter meetings or wherever else and go, we're done, we're done subsidizing the yeah. Arizona franchise. Right. They, they're, they've been around long enough now that they need to either stand on their own two feet or something else needs to change. But we're done pumping money into it so that they can keep playing. So you figure it out on how you're going to handle it. Relocate them, fold them, do this and that, handle it out of your own pocket, but we're done. And yeah. that's what that's what it would take. When with Bettman, you know, for all the positives you can say about Bettman as a businessman, being a businessman also comes with the negatives that you are driven by money. Right. So you so you can't you can't step out and go, you know, this this makes me happy, this brings me joy, this is whatever. You know, the way an individual might in terms of a job choice or a career or anything like that. Right. When it's all about money, even if even in an in even with an individual in a career, if it's all about money, then that's all it's ever going to be about. What's what's the the phrase of how you how you what it takes to build it is what it'll take to maintain it. Right. So if it's built on the back of money, 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 then now you or I or anybody else is going to need a job that pays as much, if not more, in order to maintain it. You've now built this Arizona franchise on the backs of the 31 other franchises, and right. now that's what it takes to maintain it. Because the problem, and I, 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 from a growth of the game perspective, and I love the game and I want to see it grow from a growth of the game perspective, places like Arizona are integral. You need you need to expand. You need outdoor games in certain areas. You need these moments. You need growth. You need expansion. You need these things. It just, you do. It's, it's how you grow the game for the next generation of players and you keep the game moving in the direction it's moving. The problem with Arizona, unlike Florida, Florida for, with exception of 1996, hasn't done anything. The Panthers haven't done anything up until the past few years where now you can start putting butts in seats because they're actually competitive. They actually compete. The problem with Arizona, even, even back when in the time of Shane Doan and Mike right. Smith and playoffs and competing for a Stanley cup and doing things like that, nothing's changed even now where they struggle to get out of the basement of the division. And it's because the Arizona market, unlike Florida, unlike Nashville, unlike these other southern areas, it is it is a it is a tourist resort place where transplants live and operate. So the only fans you're going to get in Arizona are your Canadians who come down for warm weather, and even even then, you're not getting that many Canadians doing that. So. A desert area, they're going to prefer the Diamondbacks. They're going to prefer the the Phoenix Suns. They're going to prefer those things. The only 
1200 fans you get or whatever happen to be the Canadians that happen to be there during that time. Well, it, that decide yeah. they want to see a hockey game. So that's the, that's the issue with Arizona. I like Arizona and all goes well. I hope they stay just from a basis of a growth, a growing of the game, but from a revenue business perspective, I don't know how much longer they stay in Arizona simply because you cannot keep having 31 other franchises, keep them afloat. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and this has been a sore spot for me for 20 years. Uh, even when they did occasionally make a, a, a an appearance in the first round, it's, it's just a place where you're, it seems like they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars. Some years they've lost, they've had to subsidize 30, $40 million to the franchise. And this has been going on for a generation. How much can you spend to try to force people to go watch hockey games who have really no interest in it? It's not a demographic that works. They, they fixed that in Carolina because they put together a few winning seasons. But that franchise, too, they won a cup in, what, 06, 05, and right after the lockout, I think. So mm-hmm. 04, 06. Yeah, they knocked off Edmonton in the 06 final. And then, and then they fell on hard times, and that building was empty. <clears throat> so a few years of winning helps a place like Carolina. It helped in Nashville to be competitive for 10 or 15 years. And it's finally taken hold in Florida. They've apparently stabilized the ownership there. And they've got a competitive team and they've got uh, all the things in place with the pipeline and the coaching staff and the infrastructure to make it work. I don't think anybody wants to drive to sunrise to watch them play, but that's, that's a, a question for another day. As long as they keep putting people in the seats, they can work on another building in Phoenix. I don't know. They have no prospects to get a new building. They have no nobody jumping up to say, I'll go build one. No municipality saying, come play here. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't think they know what they're going to do. And and it came last summer as a surprise that all of a sudden the, the building that they had been playing in said, no more, we're not putting any more money into your, into your Hokie franchise. We're not asking the taxpayers to subsidize your building anymore. So find a new place to play, which is why they're at Arizona State now, which holds, what, 4,500 or so. I don't, I don't understand it. If you can't get a franchise in Quebec City, uh, had trouble keeping a franchise back in Winnipeg, I don't know what they're trying to prove. I just don't understand it. From a business standpoint, I don't get it. I understand it from travel because you've got two teams in Southern California. You've got the San Jose Sharks. You've got Vegas, who is stable. Dallas, which is uh, an hour and a half away by plane. So there's a lot to, there's a lot to think that would demographic or geographically would work to have that franchise in Phoenix, but that's a, you're trying to shove a square peg in a round hole so far. You've got to put a good product on the ice and you got to have a building that you can put 15, 20,000 in every night, or we're just going to keep doing this in perpetuity. I don't, I don't understand the, the logic. It's, it's one of the only real blights on Bettman's business resume is that and the television issue. Um, so I don't know. It's, I think, I think you can attribute, what's the answer? I think you can attribute the positive for the Panthers as, as a direct result of the success of the lightning. 
Yeah, that helped. I mean, you've you've got you. That's got to be something that at least helped, right? That, three three Stanley Cups and all, and this level of success, and all of a sudden, you know, sunshine and beaches, and all of a sudden, Florida becomes like a decent place. And Barkov's a good player, so now all of a sudden, you know, hey, you know, I can't I can't get a contract in Tampa because they're they're moving, they're competitive. Maybe Sunrise, maybe maybe down in my maybe down in Miami, maybe. Maybe that can give it to me, and and there you go. And now they've built rosters over the years and had established some stability to where they can be competitive. But the problem, the problem, still to this day, and um, and I say this knowing very well, um, our old buddy Z Diddy goes to a lot of Panthers games, um, and I think he might even be a season ticket holder for them. That's a long way to go. From where he is, isn't it? I, I think I'd, I'd I'd have to ask him. Um, a couple of hours. He may or may not have the uh, agree with what I'm about to say. He might. He might not. But the issue with the Panthers, even to this day, is and and I, I it's going to sound weird simply because we're speaking of Florida, Florida and hockey, right? So that kind of stuff. But the Panthers are kind of the Colorado Rockies of the NHL. They get enough people there and enough and enough pull. And over the years they've been competitive enough to draw people in that, hey, what do you what do you want to do on a on a Monday night? You know, it's warm enough, family day out. Let's go to a let's go to a Panthers game. We can get in for 12 bucks. And it becomes one of those family outing things that you get with the Rockies. And unless things have changed with the ownership, it becomes a thing where, well, we're making money. We may not be profitable, but we're making, we're not in the red. So we're good. You know, it's a place that people want to come because of nice weather and beaches and things anyway. So we'll always have that. So we're good. There's no, not really been a push there has been of late, but up to recent history, there hasn't really been a push for the Florida Panthers to be an all-in franchise on being Stanley Cup competitive. That for right now, that's been fixed. Paul Maurice is a great coach. They've got Kachuk and and you know they've got a great defense core, mm-hmm. Montour and and uh, and they've got Barkov up front. So they and and they've got depth. Sam Bennett's playing great. Bobrovsky's been solid in goal so far. They went to the cup final last year. Let's, you know, let's face it. They're competitive. They're as good as anybody. And it shouldn't shock anyone if they do it again, or if they win a cup in the next two years, that part has been solved. And I guess winning games in a market that has to be convinced like Florida or Phoenix or Nashville or Carolina, winning games helps fix everything because now you get people in the stands, you get more, you get a better television deal. All those things bring along more sponsorships. Why would I want to sponsor anything involving a team that draws 3,500 fans? Mm -hmm. That would be a total waste of money. So I'm not going to throw money at it. If I'm a car dealer or anything else, I'm not throwing money at this thing. Now I've got 18,000 in the building and we're making a playoff run. Now I want to jump on board and sponsor. So sponsorship gives ownership more money. 
that, that gives you a better atmosphere in the building. It puts more people in the seats. More people draw more sponsors. Sponsors want to see how many eyeballs are on them every night. So the spiral, when the spiral starts to go upward, sponsorship, fans, better product on the ice, more fans, better sponsors, up we go. Yeah. And when it starts to go down, like it is in Phoenix right now, how do you fix that? Well, and that's fix it with a competitive team and a great building, but they don't have either that's one. The, that's the flaw in, as you mentioned to me, in Bettman's business model is yep. if you're it's winning and you're, and you're drawing revenue and you're getting sponsors and you're doing this and that, great. If you're Bettman, you can credibly sit there and face questions about why Arizona has a franchise if Shane Doan has them in the playoffs and has them competing. Right. You can justify these things. But what happens if all of a sudden the the city and county of Tempe or wherever they they are or were says, no, you're not using our arena anymore. You're done. They they can't get out of the, the basement of the NHL. All these struggles. They for crying out loud, how many years now have we have we seen them eat contracts just to get to the cap floor to get to the floor like for uh, crying out loud they've still got on their contracts they still got on their payroll Pavel Datsuk Pavel Datsuk right. and Marion Hosa yeah to this day they still have those two on their payroll things like what? that to get to the cap floor and and my point with that is again how can you credibly justify keeping that franchise where it is from a business standpoint if that's what's going on you can, if they're competitive and winning, like what's going on in Sunrise, can you can you keep doing that though? If if things start to to spiral, because eventually, and every team goes through it, eventually Flo Florida they'll dip again right. at some point, and every team goes through the rebuild. Every team goes through it, and they'll lose their fans again. And then the question at that point is, how long is their rebuild, and how long can you justify things? At least with, with some of these other franchises, you are consistent enough that it's there that you don't have to you don't have to worry about it. Arizona and Florida seem to be the two where you kind of go, they need consistent competitiveness. Otherwise, what are you what are you going to do? Yeah, I, I don't. So this this goes back to Gary Bettman, who doesn't make a lot of business mistakes, like him or not. This is one of them, and. He's supported by the Board of Governors. So if they came together and said, yeah, I know I know you want to keep this franchise in Phoenix. We're tired of it. We've put, we've put half a billion dollars of our money into this revenue sharing deal to support this franchise. We, you got to move it. You got to take it out behind the barn, give it a lump of sugar and shoot it. We're tired of it. What I don't understand on, on top of that is how you could have the good sense to finally pull the plug on the Atlanta thrashers and put them back in a market where people will go and a market where they can be competitive in Winnipeg. And Atlanta was awful. They were, they were a terrible team. They didn't play well, draft well. They didn't compete. They didn't do anything right. And people stayed away in droves. So Everybody said, well, let's get them out of there. This is the second time we've had a franchise in Atlanta. Let's quit trying to pretend this is a hockey community and move them someplace else. Why can't we do that with Phoenix Coyotes? I don't understand that one. We'll see if anybody ever, if there's any hope for the future, it'll come in the form of a new building. If that doesn't happen, 
in the next year. I don't know what, I don't know where the Board of Governors goes with it. Maybe Salt Lake. Uh, I don't know, maybe Portland. I'm, you know, what's the answer? I don't know. But I, it, I know relocation that right now it's, it's beyond life support. It's on a, it's just on its last leg. I, and it, it's, it's difficult to, it's difficult to justify when there are so many people in so many other markets that would do what has happened in Vegas or Seattle or you know, in, in Quebec City, certainly what they did in Winnipeg. Look at all the franchises that are fairly new, flourishing. Good for them. You get a billion dollar check from Bill Foley and he has a Stanley Cup three years later. I, I don't understand this one. I know we've beat this subject to death, but I would really like to see for the players' sake, I'd like to see something happen there. Well, it, it brings the broader question and the broader topic of relocation and expansion and all that goes into that. So the talk now is that they're they're looking to expand again. Problem no. is, um, and... Elliot Friedman's touched on places like Sacramento and Salt Lake, um, Houston and different areas like that. Um, the issue, and I can say this with confidence that this is a consideration when they talk about this stuff. If you're going to expand again, you need, you need to expand four more because you've now gotten con- divisions and conferences equal. Yep. So now, right. now it's not eight in the central and six in the Pacific and f- seven in the Metro and, and everything you've now, you're now eight or nine across the board. And so yep. now, and they, the reason they've, part of the reason why they've expanded was to, to make that happen for, for alignment purposes. So if they're going to expand again, whether we like it or not, you're, you're likely going to see four more over the, over the case of the next 10, 12, 15 years, you're likely going to see if they do it four more expansion teams, one for each division. The problem with relocation as a result would be if Arizona moves, they would kind of have to move to Salt Lake. They'd have to move to a Western. They'd have to move to Salt Lake or Western town, Salt Lake or Houston to stay in the central division. Yeah. There was, there was a time when, when the travel was so lopsided that for instance, the New Jersey devils, uh, even today, New Jersey devils play 70 of their 82 games within a bus trip. And there was a time when Vancouver Canucks, the Edmonton Oilers, LA Kings, they were they had a three or four hour flight to every single game that they that they played. So it was really a mess and it needed to be realigned because even the first few years in the league, when Winnipeg was in the was in the, the original Atlanta division, they had to fly, they were playing all up and down the East Coast from Winnipeg. It made no sense from a travel standpoint. It really it, from a, from travel expense and travel fatigue, it hurt that team. So yes, there's the travel issue that if you tried to move Phoenix to someplace else, you'd have to take that into heavy consideration. The other problem is this, don't forget, the price of an NHL franchise now is around a billion Mm dollars. If you you expand, then 
the restaurant guy in Houston, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, the restaurant guy in Houston is going to write you a billion dollar check to become an NHL owner. If you move the Phoenix Coyotes there, the league and the board of governors, the, the, the league fund gets zero mm-hmm. for moving them over. Yep. If you expand into Houston, you get a billion dollar check. If you move Phoenix to Houston, you get nothing. Yep. So that's, you know, there's a there's a billion reasons why they're probably going to ride it out there and divide that thirty million dollar loss every year or fifty now by the other thirty one teams and sweep it under the rug because otherwise, you know, we move them and we miss out on a billion dollar check from a from a Seattle or a Vegas or a Houston. I mean, I guess you could take the risk that okay, we'll move them to a market. But that we'd have to be confident that the market would would want hockey. So you'd have to move it to a market where, okay, you wouldn't get that billion dollar check and you wouldn't get this whatever. But now we don't have to subsidize it. Well, they, and they, we don't have to subsidize it anymore. And now Quebec Quebec City will will give that get that money back. Yeah, type of thing. And that's I, the risk factor there. So the the point is from a travel and alignment perspective, it becomes murky because you can't expand because the second you do that, you need now three more. Well, you need at least two, at least two to at least even out the conferences. But if you, but if they are adamant on not just conferences and I don't know this, um, they might just care about conferences. They might care about divisions. If they care about divisions, you need four. Yeah. If it's just conferences, you can get away with two, but the, the point is the second, the second you expand, you now got to expand at least one more at least, yeah. to make conferences even. And then relocation, this isn't a, it's not a video game. So you can't, ex, can't move Arizona to, to Quebec. Right. And now all of a sudden the Eastern conference has an extra team. The Western conference has one less team. And now the divisions are uneven as well. So Arizona would have to go in a, travel alignment way of things they'd have to go salt lake or houston to stick to keep it even if you expand which they're talking about the wonderful atlanta franchise are talking about bringing it back um if they were to expand in atlanta you now need at least one more if not more than that for an expansion team in the west to make it even so there's a lot of things like that um which is part of the reason, part of the debate amongst people like us on just leave it alone. They're good. Relocate Quebec deserves a team, you know, all these different things. So there's a lot to talk about with it, though. It's not as simple as give Quebec a team no, because of the, the franchise fee, because of whatever else. It's not as simple as relocate here, you know, so there's a lot that goes to it. They, they do a nice job do you but you when you were talking about trying to vet a community for whether or not they would actually support a hockey team they do a nice job with advanced ticket sales like Vegas and and Seattle both held season ticket drives and were sold out of season tickets within a couple of minutes literally minutes they were sold completely out of 12,000 season tickets. I was shocked by, by Vegas. I, I thought, too. I thought kind of like Arizona being a, a resort vacation, travel transient place. 
who's going to be there consistently enough that likes hockey to see hockey and Nevada people didn't strike me as the type to really, really be that diehard about hockey. Now, um, part of, part of where their popularity again has been their ownership and their management has kept them competitive, right? Right, wrong or indifferent, how they do it, loophole, this, whatever that every year they find themselves not only competitive, but they find themselves in on literally every big name free agent. Oh yeah. And, and, and even, even without cap space, we are yeah. in on every big name free agent. We don't have the money to do this, but we bring in Petrangelo. Now we're capped, but wait a minute, Landis Scog still doesn't have a contract. We'll pursue him, right? They're in on everybody. How they do it, I don't know, but it's kept fans excited because big name guys come in, we're competitive. We've now won a Stanley Cup. The question around Vegas, though, again, and this creates a whole other discussion, is how longer, much longer can they keep that up before now they take a dip? The cap era, and that's a good question. You've mentioned it regarding Florida. The cap, the cap is designed such that when you go all in to win a cup, ask the Blackhawks, ask anybody, ask the Washington Capitals, you go all in to win a cup. Whether or not you succeed, and this applies today to both Florida and Vegas, whether or not you succeed, you can only bring in so many free agents. You can only sign so many Mark Stones and Petrangelos to long-term huge contracts before at some point you have to break it up. And it, and it happens post-cup run for everybody. We can no longer afford these guys. Now you're looking at buyouts. You're looking at, at waivers. And all of a sudden you're in a rebuild. So that's when the community is tested with its loyalty to a team that is now, you know, winning, putting up 55, 60 points this year, who's going to go? Are we still going to support these guys the way we did when they were making cup runs? And yep. that'll, that will be the test. Mm-hmm. It's not a test in a, in a market like Chicago, they've already done it in Toronto. They've been doing it for 50 years. Uh, Montreal's the same way. You get restlessness but it doesn't show up in the form of I'm staying away. I'm going to quit buying sweaters. I'm going to quit buying beer. I'm going to mm-hmm. quit buying tickets. It shows up in the form of criticism in social media and, and the newspaper. But well, that creates, uh, that creates the argument too, in the discussion. Um, and not everybody's able to handle it. Obviously it's part of the reason why Ryan O'Reilly didn't resign in Toronto. Um, the fishbowl mentality, right? Um, there, those markets are great, but those markets also win or lose have a standard that they expect. And, and now if you lose, which every team does at some point, there's that added pressure as a result, which you don't necessarily see with some other markets because, Hey, if they don't lose, all right, well, we just stop going until they start winning again. Okay. You know, and, and all this stuff. Montreal, Toronto, these different markets. No, we're there, and we expect you to compete no matter what. And now, and that adds the pressure. So that's kind of a, the. That's, you just answered a question that we hadn't even gotten to yet, which is why would play? Why would anybody want to play in Phoenix or Florida or Carolina? And it's just for that reason. Well, and that's why Matt Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau both left Calgary. It was a team that was underachieving, and. 
like who wants to live with that? You can't stop for a coffee when you've, when you've lost five out of six and you haven't made the playoffs for two or three years, you can't go anywhere. It's a prison. And when, when guys go, if you're not somebody who thrives on the attention and you go to a smaller or a non-traditional hockey market, now you're free to go do whatever you want. You don't have, you don't have pictures showing up on everybody's Instagram that you've been out having a couple of beer on the beach or playing golf with your buddies. You know, they're losing. Why are these guys standing around doing nothing? Mm-hmm. You're anonymous in those places for the most part. And the, some of the players really thrive on being able to live normal lives. Mm-hmm. Whether or not we make a cup run, I don't know. We're going to try. But at least I can live like a normal human being here. Yep. I, yep. That part of it, I totally understand. Yep, exactly. But that's but that also plays out too lineup-wise. You know, it's what I've been saying too about Matt Duchesne. Matt Duchesne, no matter which team he plays for, it's less about which market he's in, and and this isn't a shot at Matthew Shane. This is this is a genuine because these are this is a genuine aspect of where players fit. Duchesne, once he's out of Colorado and he starts he starts falling in lineups where arguably he should be, he's putting up forty goals, and he's you know he's producing in a way that I'm sure they hoped and expected he would in Colorado. Yeah. He's not, he's not the everyday guy. He's not, he's not the one with it on, on his shoulders in the media. He's not this and that in Dallas. He's a third line winger, right? He's not a first line center. He's a third line winger in Dallas and look at what he's doing in Nashville. He was a second line center and look at what he did Right in Colorado. He is the first line center. You're our guy taking us to the future and look at what, what happened. And it's a testament to the fact that some guys are just not built to do that. I remember. I, th- I think Nashville's hitting out of their weight class currently. Yeah, I do too. In terms of where they sit right now, standings and so far in the season. But as a result, Ryan O'Reilly to me is not a first line center. No, and 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 he he does better. He does better behind Braden Shen in St. Louis. Right. He he did better behind Jack Eichel in Buffalo. Right. And he, who knows what his future could have been in Colorado had he and the franchise understood that and had him as a second or third line center behind Paul Stasny and an eventual Nathan McKinnon in Colorado. You do that and look at what even Ryan O'Reilly is doing as a second round draft pick and, you know, all this stuff. So whether it's particular markets or it's lineups or it's this and that we need to, everybody needs to understand personalities and, and how they fit and mesh with things. Some guys are just not cut out for it. That's right. And that's, that goes back to your, that goes back to your staff and, and ties to our discussion with the world juniors. Your staff has to interview and understand that just because this guy can skate and shoot or hit or whatever his forte is, does he fit with our team? Does he fit with our plan? Does he fit with our market? Does he fit with our depth? How does this guy project out five years from now into what we're trying to build here or what we're trying to rebuild or whatever it is? And I, I go back to, I go back to the days uh, when darkness was over the earth and the animals stood still and 
the Toronto top line was Bozak centering Kessel and Van Riemsdyk. They were none of those three guys were ever in their good saw long-term solid careers. None of them were ever to be first liners. They were fantastic at, in their role, but that was not it. So yeah, that's a good point. And it starts with the draft and, and it goes back to player development and roster management that your guys have to fit in with your coaches systems or vice versa. You, they have to fit in with each other. They have to fit in with the community. They have to understand you can't have a guy with a volatile personality that's liable to say anything in a market like Toronto or Montreal. That's a, that's doomsday for somebody who can't control an interview. So you have to know who you're dealing with, not just yep. on the ice, but off too. Well, it's a prime example. Um, bounce, bouncing in and out of the lineup, back to the KHL, doesn't have any, doesn't, isn't producing, comes to Colorado and Nachushkin is just, he's, he's officially the player that everybody thought he was going to be when he was drafted. Thomas Tatar gets traded, and in tw- in twenty seven games he had one goal and eight assists with Colorado. Gets traded to Seattle in four games, two goals, two assists. He's, you know, it's about fit. You yeah. know, he something just wasn't meshing for 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 Tatar in Colorado. He fits better in the system and with and things in Seattle. It just it just is. I mean, and that's a prime example of it for whether we're talking about markets in terms of relocation or expansion, whether we're talking about players and where they fit in the lineup. Um, you know, Ryan Johansson, great center iceman. He's production wise, he's been non-existent in terms of a, a second line center. You put him third or fourth line center, you do this and that he can blend in a little more produce at the level he rightfully probably can produce for those minutes. Play the it's all game. it's all matchups it's all where they fit and you know Duchesne leaves Colorado and and starts to and and goes to teams that have already kind of established an identity and as a result can come into Ottawa and Columbus and Nashville and now Dallas and not be not be expected to be the the guy no matter how right. much he might want to be he's not expected to be the guy and in 10 plus years seasons now since he left Colorado or whatever it is he's getting 30 40 goals consistently every season and he's a he's a point per game guy he's producing he's on your top power play he's doing the things that he was drafted to do in Colorado but the timing just wasn't there the system wasn't there the you know the expectation was too much whatever else You've got to you've got to match personality. You've got to match expectation. You've got to match, you know how how well do guys mesh together? When you get it right, you get B minus players playing an A game. When you get it wrong, it works the other way around. And you and I, you and I and Owen, we watched Valentushkin when he was a teenager. He was a spectacular junior player. It took him a few years to grow into his feet, to grow into his mental preparation. Uh, it took a couple of trips to the minors and to the KHL for him to figure it out. And, you know, that was a great gamble by Joe Sackick. And that was not throwing a dart at the wall. That was a guy who knew this kid and knew what he was capable of if you put him in a position to succeed. So 
that's when astute management and and roster manipulation pays off and it pays off with a stanley cup mm-hmm. yep so um what uh next thoughts, week, what thoughts and we'll rumors have, about we'll... expansion thoughts and rumors about relocation um there are discussions this is not just us talking about it there are league dis- and league discussions around future expansion and fe- and all that stuff um so right wrong or indifferent it it may come um world junior round robin is over um next week we'll be talking about the medals next week medals um david carl has really come into his own as a coach good on him him. for what he's doing for team usa what he's done now for how many years with du um good for him especially after his career was cut short due to health issues um good for him um junior a the v's are going um all that stuff so a lot of hockey still um yeah a lot of a lot of thoughts coming down too as we get too close to the all-star break as we get eventually to the trade deadline um again the avalanche are rumored to be doing something um otherwise you wouldn't have moved to tar for a fifth round pick you're clearing space for something whatever that is Um, that's when now now the schedule is really busy because the christmas break and people are trying to make up for four or five days off uh the schedule is going to be crowded there's not going to be a lot of practice time and there's going to be a tremendous amount of shuffling if you look at the league and you've got three or four teams at the very top of the league playing well. You got three or four teams at the very bottom that are, you know, playing into the lottery. And in the middle, there are teams that are, the last I looked, there were 20 teams, maybe 22 across the league in all four divisions that were no more than a 10 day stretch of winning four out of five or losing four out of five and going from second or third place to out of the playoffs. So depending on injuries and goaltending and moves prior to the deadline, there could be a a huge amount of shuffling going on because there is so much, it is so crowded in the middle 65% of the league. It is packed. So that's going to be some shuffling. The question will be, We'll see some shuffling. The question will be, will that shuffling happen all year? Or now that we're into the second, we're starting to reach the halfway mark, get to the second half of the year, will we start to see some separation? Right. So will we start to see your Nashvilles and Minnesotas um, fall off like we expect them to? Will we start to see um, Dallas and Colorado, LA and Vegas, um, and these teams start to pull away, you know, do we see separation or do we continue to see league parity to the playoffs? That's the That's question. why we watch. Yeah. So next week, um, next week, let's do, we'll do some, um, we'll ruffle some feathers. We'll do some hot, hot takes. Let's do okay. hot, hot takes next week. Um, we've all got them and we'll, we'll have some fun with, with some hot takes and we'll cover okay. that for the next episode. And um yeah, everybody, we appreciate it. And uh, yeah, if, you, if there's anything anybody wants to hear about, let us know. Yep. And uh, otherwise, have a happy new year. Yeah, you too. Welcome, welcome to 2024. So, yes, sir. All right, guys, we appreciate you, and we'll uh, see you next time. Cheers.